Welcome to our Green Country Church Message Archive. We hope you enjoy the message today. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at greencountrychurch.org. Well, uh, we're going to continue our series in Summer in the Psalms. And so every week uh, this summer, we're going to choose a different psalm to go over. So today, we're going to be in uh, Psalms uh, chapter 73. Um, These are actually my last message notes, so that's not going to work. I don't know where my notes are, but I have it on here. We'll we'll be good. We'll be in Psalms chapter 73, so if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. Uh, Last week, we kind of went over uh, Psalms 19, and Psalm 19 was a really uh, good reminder just about how God... um, reveals himself through creation and how God reveals himself through his word. And so my hope is, is that some, some of you were able to take some time last week and, and to quiet yourself before the Lord and to have him speak to you through his creation and to speak to you through, uh, through his word. Um, you know, as we, we go through these series, I think Psalms is just a, a great way for us to, to renew our heart within us. And we're going to be looking at that as well today. Now, Psalm 73 is actually a little bit different um, than Psalm 19, because this is actually a psalm of lament. And we, we talked a little bit about the different categories of psalms um, last week. And this is, this is actually a psalm of lament. And for those that don't remember, I'm just going to read um, a little definition of what a psalm of lament typically looks like. So a psalm of lament are songs and prayers that are given to God in times of pain. Um, these psalms are usually presented when the relationship with God is troubled, when they feel distant from Him, when they're hurting, or abandoned. They feel abandoned. Though every psalm of lament begins generally in a negative place, uh, its end uh, usually ends with thanksgiving and one turning back to God. And we're going to see that as well in Psalm 73. Um, Psalms of lament can also be cries of desperation, petitions for aid, and pleas for justice. And so we're going to go through Psalm 73, and you're going to see these themes all the way throughout the psalm. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and read Psalm 73 together. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death, their bodies are fat and sleek, they are not in trouble as others are, They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is in their necklace, or is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocent. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. 
Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Let's pray. There was a lot there, Lord, but my prayer, Lord, as we go through this psalm, that you will help us to see the contrast of what it means to follow you versus to, to be in this world, and that, Lord, we would choose to follow you. Um, Lord, when we're in despair, when we're in doubt, Lord, just remind us of your goodness towards us. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So why did I choose this psalm, right? It's a kind of a tough psalm. This isn't like one of those happy psalms. This is kind of like a, like a difficult one. And, you know, honestly, I, I can't exactly tell you other than I felt like this is the one that the Lord wanted me to share. And as I read it, I just felt, you know, kind of moved. Like, man, this is a, this is a real cry of a man who, who's struggling and seeing the, the riches and the, and the wealth and the prosperity of the evil people, you know, the ones that aren't doing things right, yet they're the ones who seem to be blessed. And he's having this internal struggle. And as I read this, I was like, man, this is good. Let's take a look at it together. And so um, a couple quick background points before we get into the meat of it. Um, it says the author of this uh, psalm his name was Asaph, and uh, for you Bible scholars, maybe you already know, but Asaph was actually one of David's worship leaders, right? So David had appointed um, some worship leaders to help oversee uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant and singing and the church services that would go on at the tabernacle, and so Asaph was one of those guys, and just as a point of reference, if you're taking notes, um, it tells us this in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4 through 7. This is David. This is then David. Uh, then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. And second to him were Zechariah, some other guys. Um, and they were to play harps and lyres. And Asaph was to sound the cymbals. And Benaiah, the Je Jehezel, the priest, were to blow trumpets regularly before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day... David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by Asaph and his brothers. And so this was a pretty cool guy. This is a guy that, he was a Levite, so he's of the tribe of Levi, and those were the ones that were to help to teach the people, to care for the people. And that's who David chose, this man named Asaph, to help lead worship. Now, as you're reading this song, this is maybe not your typical worship song, right? <laughs> you know, you don't turn on the radio and you hear this kind of a worshipful song that talks about envying the rich and taking wanting to be like the arrogant but here we are and and asaph is struggling he's he's a, a leader but he's struggling and now as far as when this took place or, or or why he wrote this commentators aren't exactly sure but they think that it could have taken place during the time of absalom and so for those that may or may not know, Absalom was one of David's sons. Uh, there was a lot of friction between David and his son Absalom. David didn't do some of the things he was supposed to do, and Absalom got mad at his dad. 
And then because he was mad at his dad, he did some things he shouldn't have done, like kill his brother uh, and then try to overthrow the kingdom. And so there was just a lot of uh, struggles that were going on. And I can imagine, you know, Asaph is sitting there. He's trying to worship before the Lord, but he's struggling just seeing the wicked be exalted and seeing the evil being lifted up and nobody saying anything and God not stopping it and just the struggle. And, you know, I think maybe that's part of the attitude that some of us have now. You know, I think it's hard sometimes to turn on the news and, and see just evil and sometimes evil prospering, you know, and things that shouldn't be happening are happening. And we're sitting here going, why? Like, why is this happening? You know, this doesn't seem right. And my hope is this morning as we go through this passage that is if that's been you and you've been kind of just struggling with this, like, why am I even trying to follow Jesus when everything else just seems to go wrong? My, my hope is, is that you're encouraged, um, like Asaph was, to turn to the Lord. But let's just go through this a little bit, verse by verse, and see this inner dialogue and talk about it. So first off, um, you know, the psalm does start off with a kind of a positive note, right? It says, truly God is good to Israel and those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. You know, I think... Uh, Sometimes we forget that even the strongest Christians can struggle. Even if you've been a Christian all of your life, sometimes things in life can come up and, 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 and kind of mess up your brain a little bit. And I think Asaph was in this place. Is he's, he's remembering it. He's writing this song, remembering. And he says, he just admits it. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. Why? Because he was envious of the arrogant. And when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, I think uh, sometimes we struggle with the same thing, right? This envy. You know, the, I told you the kids are doing the Ten Commandments. The last commandment of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not covet or thou shalt not envy, right? It's this idea that we, we desire things that we don't have. And so here's uh, Asaph and he's seeing the riches, he's seeing all this, and he's envious. He's, he's like, why do they get this? Why am I sitting here. And who, who knows, you know, maybe worship leaders at 1000 BC didn't get paid that well. You know, maybe there wasn't a lot for his family. I mean, who knows what the situation was. But whatever the case was, he was seeing things and he was wanting those things, even though he didn't have them. And I do think many of us are guilty of the same things, right? So I, I wrote down some ideas where maybe we uh, line up with this, you know. Uh, maybe it's, you know, as we flip open Facebook, right? And we start to look around Facebook and we see all of our peers with things that we're like, how can they afford that? Like, how did they get that? Like, that's not even fair. I think for me, you know, just peeling back the curtain a little bit, for me, it's like driving around Ferris and I'm looking at these college students driving like $70,000 cars and I'm like, how? How, are, how, are, how do they have this car? Like, this is, this is strange to me, right? But there's a little bit of envy. It's like, that's those kids shouldn't afford those cars. Like, oh, yeah, I want a car like that, you know? But maybe that's just a guy thing. I don't know, looking at the cars. But uh, what about all of those, like, social media moms, right? With, like, the perfect houses, you know? There's, like, YouTube channels devoted just to, like, organizing pantries. I mean, you, you like, flip through these things and you see, my wife sometimes looks at them. That's how I know. I saw a look Tim just gave me. Um, that's how I know about these things, Tim. Yeah. And... But you see, right, there's like, and they have like the perfect houses and their kids are always smiling in the pictures. And you think, man, what if, I wish I could have a picture like that with my kids. I wish, you know, we had these things, right? There's this envy that we have sometimes and it's, 
it's of the devil, you know, and it's, it's, it's this thing that, that comes because what do we do? We're, we're comparing ourselves and we're wanting things that maybe, maybe we could have, maybe we don't, but we probably shouldn't be caring that much about those things. And so we have to be careful, right? We got to be careful how we're allowing these things to affect our hearts. Now, there's a difference between seeing it and thinking it and letting it go, right? Because, you know, I'm driving, I see it, I think it, but I'm not spending all day being like angry that there's a college kid driving a Lexus. It's just, it's not worth it. But the thought comes up, right? And we have to make sure we take our thoughts captive and not allow those things to move, you know, to move our hearts. But as soon as we start to see it affecting us, we have to ask God to help us and to, to move past it. Let's continue to read what, what, what Asaph says. So after he says that he was envious, verse four, it says, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. Um, they are not in trouble as others are. They are uh, they're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Their pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. So he starts to use all this poetic language, right? Their eyes, their, <laughs> you know. Back then, being fat was kind of a good thing because that, that showed that you had money, right? You could eat whatever you wanted. You could get as big as you wanted because you don't have to work in the field. You can make somebody else. So that was like a big deal back then, you know, like. And so here he's just going off. He's like, these guys are, you know, fat cats, look at them. They're, he's just getting upset, right? And he goes on, verse 8 says, They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. You know, this is where I think he probably struggled more. And it wasn't even necessarily that he was envious of all this stuff. I mean, that was probably part of it. But I think he was starting to get frustrated because you know, Asaph is a worship leader, right? So his, his job is to offer honor and praise to God. So, all, you know, all day he's saying how great God is and how God's gonna be with the righteous, but here he is, he's looking, and what is God doing? He's blessing the bad guy when the righteous are going, you know, what seems to be on the wayside. And so here he says, and they're, not only are they just doing whatever they want, but they're even setting their mouth against God. In verse 11, it says, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? So basically saying, I can do whatever I want. God's not gonna stop me. Verse 12, behold, these are wicked, the wicked, always at ease, and they increase in their riches. So I think that's the, you know, that's the difficulty. That's what he's going through. His, his heart is being challenged. His theology is being challenged. The, his, his philosophy on life, he's thinking, how can this be? How can God do this? And what I, you know, I want to keep going back to is that first verse two where he says, but as for me, my feet almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. So this was so much on his heart and mind that he is considering turning away from God. And that's even highlighted as well in verse 13. It says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. So he's saying, God, look at me. I've done everything I can. Look, my heart's clean. I'm, I'm living an innocent life, but how is it possible that this person is, is receiving what looks like from you when I'm doing this? Maybe everything I've done is in vain. And what that means is maybe it was all pointless. It was worthless. There was no reason for me to do that. And so here he is. He's struggling, and he, he offers up this confession, this statement. Man, maybe I did this for nothing. Why, did, why am I even living this way? And I think sometimes we can get to that crossroads, right? Or we can get to the point where we feel like we're so just frustrated that we start to question, is it even worth it, right? Why, am, why are we even going through this? Is it worth it? 
But the reason I picked this is because I think Asaph does a wonderful job of showing us that it is. And so let's continue. Verse 14 says, For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. So now every day he's waking up and it's the thoughts in his mind. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And he said, If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But this is where I think it's pretty, it starts to shift, right? So although he's struggling, although he's going through the ringer, although he feels in his heart that he's about to stumble, although he feels like maybe it's all for nothing, he hasn't taken that step to, to verbalize it. He hasn't taken that step to go ahead and, and make it known with his lips. So he's been internalizing it. And he, he offers this, this thought. He said, if I would have said this, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's speaking to God and he says, God, I don't want to, if I would have said it, that would have been bad, right? And so my, my quick comment on this verse is that sometimes we can be going through the ringer. Let's just say the ringer, right? We're going through the ringer. Just be careful what you say. The Bible says that life and death is in the tongue and we have to be so cautious about how we approach those situations and not say something that not only can cause yourself to go down a route you don't want to go, because sometimes once we say it, we, have, we start to act on it, right? Or we could cause some other, somebody else to stumble by what we say. And so we have to be aware. What are we saying? What are we doing when we're in this place and not allow the, the, the devil to have a foothold um, by speaking this out loud? Now, on a side note, you know, it is okay to, to talk to somebody that you can confide in who's going to be in there with you. So if you're going through these times, I don't want you to say like you have to just internalize it and struggle through it on your own. Sometimes, yes, you need to do that. Sometimes you have to go to the Lord and we're going to see what Asaph does in a second. But sometimes it's okay though to get help. Like I just want to make sure that's clear. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to keep it all in. If you need help, get help. But no that the power of life and death is in your tongue. You have to be careful and cautious how you, what you say and what you do. But here we go. This is where there starts to be a turn, right? So we're seeing the buildup. There's a struggle. There's a difficulty. There's a hardship in his heart, and he's trying to figure out, okay, God, what's going on? How, do I un- how, how can this make sense? And so verse 16, it says, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. You know, uh, I actually get some joy so back to my YouTube selections. I get some joy sometimes about like watching like these philosophical like arguments, right? Where people are debating these like ideas and, um, but when I'm trying to listen to those, I honestly, I have to pretty much do nothing else because the mental energy that it takes to be able to understand what they're trying to say is, is taxing. So that's like good driving stuff, right? I'll listen to something like that while I'm driving. Maybe that's not good. I don't know. Um, pray for me. All right. But um, anyway, so uh, here he is, he's trying to, but it says it's wearisome, right? So he's trying to understand, he's trying to philosophize, well, why, why is there evil in the world, right? That's like one of those age-old questions. Why does God, he says it's wearisome. Verse 17, here we go. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Man, church, we have to take our cares to the Lord. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You know, I love this because here's Asaph and he's struggling and he's struggling and he's a worship leader and he's struggling. But then finally it dawns on him, hey, why don't I just take this to the sanctuary of the Lord? So what does he do? He, he goes 
And he asks God, hey, what's going on here? And then it says, then I discerned their end. And so in this moment, as he's struggling through it and he doesn't understand why it's happening, finally God revealed to Asaph why. And, and helped them see that even with all of these things going on, that's so temporary compared to eternity. So now he goes through what happens to them. How did God reveal what would happen to those? He says, truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you, arou- when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. He reminded Asaph that judgment for the sinner and the unrepentant is coming. And even though that's not a fun thing to talk about, the reality is this, is that there will come a day when judgment comes and that the faithful, the followers of Jesus will get to go up to heaven, but those who have been unrepentant, who have not submitted their lives to the kingship of Jesus, who have sinned, the penalty is death. And they're going to be judged. And then it's funny because now... Asaph is convicted. And that's, what, that's the response that we should have, right? When we, when we are confronted with the word of God like this, when we're going through a powerful time and then God speaks to us, typically the response that comes is the same response that Job gave, right? Woe is me, <laughs> I am, I'm horrible. You know, Isaiah, a man of unclean lips, all these guys, right? Whenever God revealed himself, they became just repentant, right? They convicted and God began to speak to their hearts. And that's the same thing that happens to Asaph, verse 21, says, and then when my soul uh, was embittered, when I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and and ignorant. I was like a beast to you. I love uh, just (laughs) the moment of realization. You know, it's like, you know, I was complaining. I was kind of being that whiny kid, but I get it now, right? And I I was being a brute. I was being ignorant. I should have known better. But he doesn't stay there. Verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so now the vision is clear right? The clouds have rolled away, you know. Um, This isn't a Jesus song, but I can see clearly now the rain is gone, right? He finally sees. He's like, oh my goodness, like, not only have have I had the wrong attitude about these people, like, I am blessed beyond blessed because I have a heavenly father who is with me, who is going to help me, who is continually with me, who holds my right hand, who guides me with counsel, and then afterwards going to take me to glory. Who am I, who am I, who Whom have I in heaven but you? And on this earth, what should I desire besides you? Nothing compares, right? So all of the the desiring, the envying, the, oh, I wish I had, how can they live like that? Maybe I shouldn't even be a Christian anymore. Changes to, man, what on earth compares to you, Jesus? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength and my heart and my portion forever. And that's the thing, guys, is that in this state, we are fallen, right? We're sinful. We, we don't always get it right. We fail. Our strength fails. Our heart fails. But God is faithful forever. And that's the beauty of us giving our lives to him is that once we've submitted to him, 
forever he is with us and he will guide us. Even when our flesh fails, our heart fails, God will not abandon us. How good is that? Verse 27, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it's good to be near God. I've made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So the worship leader gets back in the right spot, right? He gets back. He's like, you know what? Forget those guys. I just want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. So now that we've walked through the passage, I have a couple encouragements for us to take away. The first one is guard your heart. Guard your heart. Um, This is uh, Jesus speaking to Simon Peter right before he's about to be arrested. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You guys, the devil is always looking for an opportunity to get you to turn away from God. The devil is always looking for whatever means he can to, like this image, like sift like Peter like wheat. And what that means is literally like shake him up, right? Just like shake him up and cause him to fall. And the devil's always looking for opportunities to, to get us to trip up and to be focused on our own selves and our selfish desires, on the, the coveting, the envying, you know. Or, honestly, we could go through all 10 commandments because that's literally the vector of attack that the devil takes to try to get us to turn from the Lord, the pride, the arrogance, all of these things, right? But that's the thing, we have to guard our hearts because if we're not careful, <laughs> the devil can cause you to stumble. But the good news is, there is an answer, right? And so my second point for us this morning is that if you feel like you're in that place where you feel like your heart is starting to slip, let's be like Asaph, where it says, and then I turned to the sanctuary of God. And I think that's the the next point that I want us to make is that, uh, to have is that we need to return to the sanctuary. So as we're coming up with these, you know, difficult moments where we're struggling and it's, it's our, we're feeling under attack and our hearts are beginning to, to waver, we feel like Satan's shaking us, right? Sifting us. That we would return to the sanctuary. Now that doesn't mean go to church. Although it does mean go to church, right? So you need to come to church. Like, this is the body of believers. This is where we encourage each other. Like Nikki said, this is where, you know, we can have fellowship and communion, where we get to know what's going on in each other's lives and encourage each other and build each other up. It's very important. You need to be here. The Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together. This is important. But it doesn't just mean that. We talked about a few weeks back, you know, where the woman at the well, she's having this conversation with Jesus and she's starting to have like a theological debate. Well, we're supposed to worship over here or are we supposed to worship over there? And Jesus just goes right at her and says, listen, the time's coming. We're neither on that mountain or that mountain, but all worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. And the beautiful thing is that because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we don't have to go to a place we can have God meet us right where we're at. And so whenever we're in this, this place, we need to quickly turn, right, and say, God, I'm struggling. I need to hear for, from you. Jesus actually instructed the disciples to pray in secret, and my encouragement would be for us to do the same. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, 
and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And the beautiful thing is, guys, is that, man, there's so many distractions. That's why I think Jesus is like, listen, just go in and close the door. Put your phone on, do not disturb. Leave it outside the room and just go act, ask him, talk to him, and allow him to speak to you. Just like he spoke to Asaph, and he was immediately, God revealed this, you know, what's going to happen to the evil people, and he repents, God will do the same thing for you. That's that faith that we were talking about earlier, right? We have faith that God will speak to us, and when we position ourselves for him to do so, he will. And this is something that even Jesus demonstrated. You know, Luke chapter 5, I love this about Jesus. It says, uh, there's a whole lot more before this, but we'll just read this couple verses. It says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad. This is about Jesus. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. You know, even Jesus took time to go speak to the Father. And if Jesus did it, then my goodness, we should be doing the same. One more passage of encouragement. Ephesians chapter 5, verse uh, 6 through 10, it says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, the more we have that relationship with Jesus, the more that, that discernment muscle gets built up, right? Maybe I shouldn't do that. Huh? Put that away. Um, but that discernment muscle gets built up, right? And we, we begin to understand, you know, when these situations come, when we see attacks of the enemy, we can go, oh, no, 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 no. I see what you're up to. No, thank you, Right? But that only comes with that relationship when the Holy Spirit is living in us and we're, we're in communion with him and we can hear and recognize his voice. And the last point I want to make for us this, this morning is that um, we need to be kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded, right? And so what was Asaph's, you know, difficulty, right? What did he do? He began to look at the earth. He began to look at the kingdoms of the world and he began to say, oh, man, this isn't fair. Like, look at that. This is not fair. How can this be, right? His focus was on earth and earthly kingdoms. And you guys, I think that would probably be one of our biggest challenges, I think, of the American church, right? Is that we have the ability to basically have whatever we want. You know, we have good jobs, we have homes, we have all these things, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But we have to be careful to not be so focused on those things that we miss out on what God's kingdom is about and what's going on. Jesus, in the same Sermon on the Mount, as he was talking about the, the, you know, how we pray, he says this, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." Man, guys, this, this earth thing, it's going to fade away someday. It doesn't matter how much work you do. It doesn't matter how much money you save. It doesn't matter, you know. Eventually, it's all going to go away, and we're going to stand before the Lord. And so our hearts have to be not so focused on these things. Now, it's good to, to be wise, to make good decisions. Don't get me wrong, but we also need to be focused on God. How can I use what you've given me to use in, for your kingdom? And guys, the... Uh, Earthly-minded, kingdom-minded. Revelations 21. 
And it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Whew, there's actually more. <laughs> and it says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for, the, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to them, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Up and down, right? But here's the point. Guys, this is what awaits us. How exciting. Man, if we read that every day before we like, like ate our Wheaties and read that passage, I think that would get us a little excited about what God's doing, that that's the end goal for all of us who, who claim to know Jesus, who've placed our faith in him. But I think it's a really good reminder that last little bit because, guys, there's people all around us that, that aren't going to experience that. And so not only is kingdom-minded about us being focused on our eternity with Jesus someday, which is great, that's awesome, but it also should remind us that there are those who aren't going to spend eternity with him, and it should activate us to go out and be like, man, God, that's what matters more than anything else. So we need to be kingdom-minded, not just earthly-minded. I thought I had a song. That's nah, fine. Guys, I hope this has been encouraging for you this morning. You know, uh, the, the final cap is this, is that we need to be guarding our hearts. We need to be uh, in the sanctuary. We need to be in a place of prayer, finding time daily to seek him. And then lastly, guys, let's be kingdom-minded. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to close in prayer. This was the, the, the song that I, was, that I had put in here, and I think it kind of goes along well, is that sometimes, you know, we, we get so focused on uh, our own cares and worries, but this is one of those songs that, you know, it's a hymn that you may have probably heard before. It's, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it just simply says, What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do your friends despise and forsake you? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms, he'll take and shield you. You will find a solace there.
Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just thank you this morning. Lord, I pray that you will help us this summer to, to be honest with ourselves and with you wherever we're at in our relationship with you, Lord. We pray that you will convict us of sin and you will call us to, to live uh, a more glorious life and not in our own for our own glory, but for your glory, Lord, that we'd be kingdom-minded, that we would see those lost around us, Lord, and just do what we can to reach them, to say a prayer for them, to talk with them, to be a friend, to love them and care for them. Lord, I pray for each and every person in this room, Lord, that you will just be with them. If they're going through a dark time, Lord, we pray that you would bring light. If they're in a light time, we pray that you give them more light <laughs> and help them be a light to others. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about this message or about Green Country Church, you can email us at greencountrychurch at gmail.com. Well, thanks again for listening and look forward to hearing from you soon.